Thanks, Josh. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. You can all answer at the same time. Well, good to see you all this morning, and it's good to be back worshiping with you and uh, sharing God's word with you once again. I heard that Josh did an amazing job last week. Confirm. All right. Sounds good. And uh, we are uh, excited to be back in. I'm, I'm really excited about actually Second Peter chapter three. Um, I was kind of sad when I had to give up that first few, uh, those first few verses uh, to Josh because there's a lot of great stuff in there. And, and uh, I would listen to Josh's message and, and the idea of us living in light of the return of the Lord. Um, as a church in general, as the church in general, not just us, not just this local body, but the church in general doesn't do a great job living with that perspective in mind, living with eternity in mind, and that Christ is coming again. He is returning for his church, his bride, and uh, what a glorious day. And so our hope is beyond this place. It's beyond all the things of this world and all the turmoil, all the trials, anything that we might face. It will just be eclipsed by the glory of Christ Jesus in his return, and I cannot wait. And so uh, we're going to continue on. If you want to turn to uh, chapter 3 of Second Peter, do that. And uh, we'll be there in a little bit. We're going to review, actually, a little bit of what we've talked about thus far in Second uh, Peter uh, from, the, from the very beginning until now. And so um, how many of you are familiar with uh, a compliment sandwich? You guys know what that is? Do you guys know what a compliment sandwich is or maybe an encouragement sandwich? Uh, you guys know what that is? It's like a leadership device kind of thing. When if you have to criticize someone... You sandwich that criticism in between two compliments, right? To kind of to kind of start them off, and you, you kind of like ah, oh, you appeal to them, and they're like, okay, great. And then all of a sudden, you bam, you hit them with the this is what you did bad, this is what you did wrong, or or whatever. And then and then you back it up with some nice little encouragement to go along with it, so that they don't leave your meeting just destroyed. Well. I've noticed something. Peter kind of does something along those lines in his second letter here. It's not quite a compliment sandwich, and it's not quite some criticism, but he starts off with this encouragement, right? This encouragement that we have all things that pertain, pertain to life and godliness because of the power of God, the Holy Spirit himself illuminating the knowledge of God, those scriptures that we have and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as you go through chapter 1, right, he's writing this letters to Christians in Asia Minor, around Turkey, and uh, in verse 1, it describes them of those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with us, with the apostles. And it's because that faith, it's because that standing is by the righteousness of Jesus. It's not by the righteousness or the goodness of any man. That's why this morning we sang the goodness of God the righteousness of God and his goodness to his children, his grace and his mercy and salvation to children is all because of him and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not our righteousness that equals uh, any standing, that gains us any standing before a holy God, but it's his righteousness alone put on us by faith in Christ. Verse 3 reminds us, like we said, his divine power, the Holy Spirit, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of Jesus. It's through the knowledge of Jesus revealed in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. 
And it's making us new. It's making us partakers of a divine nature, right? We are sharers in the nature of Jesus because of the Spirit of God and the Word of God alive in us. And then the encouragement was to supplement that faith, to supplement the faith that we have in Christ with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness and brotherly affection and love, that we would supplement our faith with those. Have you guys been working on those? Or did you forget about it since that first or second week when we talked about it? That we're supposed to be supplementing our faith, that there's an action, that there are actions that we take in our relationship with God that help us. And, and the, the effect that it has, the effect that Peter says, is that we, if you practice these things, if they're yours and that they are increasing, they will keep you from falling, as it says in verse 11. So it's the two things, right? All the time we talk about it. it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God alive in his church. Peter says that they were eyewitnesses of the glory of Christ, but they also had the prophetic word, the prophets, the Old Testament, more fully confirmed in the life of Jesus. We talked about how there's 300-plus prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Christ, in the death of Christ, in the life of Christ, those messianic prophecies, we have the word more fully confirmed. All of that true. All of those words of God written by the prophets in the Old Testament, all of it true. And those prophets, those prophecies, they were men filled by the Spirit of God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, it says. They weren't just myths that were devised by a man, but they were spoken by the Holy Spirit, penned by men of God, not just men's uh, musings, not just men uh, writing wisdom or knowledge, but it was God speaking to his people. But then in chapter 2, that's where it kind of takes a turn, right? You have this trajectory, kind of the compliment Sanders I was telling you about. Right, where you've got, you've got this encouragement, you've got this, and then all of a sudden, chapter 2, we start talking about false teachers. And there's this warning, 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 right? We start off in chapter 1, encouragement, encouragement. Now we're into warning, warning, warning. Watch out for false teachers. Those that are not carried along by the Holy Spirit, as the writers of the Old Testament were, but they're actually carried along by their own selfishness and their own greed and their own sensuality. And what they do is they've got this message that they twist and distort. It sounds pretty good, but it's really secret, um, secretly destructive. It sounds really good, but really in it, um, it sounds like freedom, but we're really slaves. They're really slaves to corruption and bondage. They seem good on the surface, but it's not Christ-centric. It's man-centric. Actually, you see it all over the church today where we've taken the gospel. Certain churches, certain teachers have taken the gospel and made the man, made man the center of it. Your Bible that you hold in your hand, it is Jesus-centric. It is the revelation of God to his people, to the people that he is choosing to know him by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's taking those scriptures and he's illuminating them so that they are life to our souls. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. So many times we open up that scripture and we go, man, how does this benefit me today? What am I going to get out of it today? 
And honestly, I understand that. I understand that to a certain degree. But it's not about me. And as I see Jesus revealed through those words, it transforms my life. And there is a huge effect that it has. I do get a ton out of it, like life and salvation and knowing my God even more. Chapter 2 talks about the condemnation of these false teachers is not idle and their destruction is not asleep in verse 3. That God's going to judge them and destroy them, the false teachers and all who practice wickedness. It's sure, and it references those three, those three examples that we talked about, the fallen angels. It references the flood in Noah, and it also references Sodom and Gomorrah. And that the judgment of God is sure. It will happen just, um, just as sure as everything that was recorded in the Old Testament scriptures. God is faithful to fulfill his word, and thus he is faithful to judge those who practice lawlessness and wickedness and those false teachers. And so it's sure. It will happen. But so is the rescue. The rescue is also sure. That God is sure to redeem and to rescue those who he's called righteous. Those who he's made righteous through Jesus Christ. Just as he rescued righteous Lot, he is sure to rescue his church. He said it and it's his word, and thus he will do it. Thus he will do it. God is always faithful to his word. As sure as this earth that we stand on, as sure as all of creation, as sure as the light you see with your eyes, when he spoke it into existence, it came to be, and thus he will rescue his people because he spoke it. He said it in his word. And then chapter 2 ends with these false prophets compared to waterless springs promising freedom, but they're really slaves of that corruption, that decay, that death. The worldliness of their teaching tries to tell you that it's offering freedom, but it's really bondage. And then now in chapter 3, again, the trajectory starts to change. Okay, so we have encouragement, encouragement. Then chapter 2, warning, warning. And now let's be encouraged once again. Chapter 1 reminds us to trust the scriptures. Chapter 2 reminds us to not trust everybody who says they preach the scriptures. To measure it against the scriptures themselves. And chapter 3 then, remember and trust the scriptures and thus live accordingly, as Josh said last week. He preached on the beginning of chapter 3, living in light of the day of the Lord, living in light of the return of the Lord. And I love it because Peter's now putting the, the, the goal or the destination back in front of his readers. Have you ever tried to go somewhere and you didn't really know where you were going? Like, if you're going to make any journey, you have to know the destination, right? And now with cell phones, it's so easy. I, I think I've mentioned this in the past. Do you remember when you had those big maps in your car? You like pull it out of the glove box and you had to unfold it. Like some of you people in this room, like some of you kids in this room, you're like, what, what is that? Like it was a paper map. And some of us, we had atlases underneath the seat. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you'd have a jam underneath the seat and it had like every state in it. And then there's that crease down the middle and you're like trying to like, okay, I can't see. Like you have to like really press it down to try to get, because it was in the crease. And this is a different time. But I love it because Peter here, he puts the goal 
of the church, the destination of the church in front of his readers again. Like for you and I, and for much of the American church, unfortunately, our faith and our Christianity becomes all about right now and how it affects me and what I get out of it right now. It's me-centric once again. The goal, is, the goal is the glory of Christ Jesus. And the glory of Christ Jesus is going to ultimately be revealed on the day of his return when he is faithful to rescue and redeem and call his church to himself. What a glorious day that awaits us. And for us to forget it, for us to live not in light of that, not consumed by that, but to live consumed by the world and the comforts and everything this world offers, what a tragedy it would be if we were to continue that way as a church. And so let's read our text once again today. I'm going to read some of the scriptures that Josh read last week, and then we're going to look at the last few verses uh, a little further this morning. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now this is the second letter that I am writing you, beloved. Calls him his beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That's the second time he's mentioned that. For chapter 1 he did as well. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through, uh, through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing uh, the way they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. There it is again, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." These, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, exclamation point. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. God, that you are so faithful to your word. God, it's been proven time and time again, God, and I pray for the skeptics in this room, God, that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would open up our eyes to the beauty and the truthfulness of you. 
God, that we would know your word is true. That what you've said has come to pass time and time again, and thus you will come again. So God, help us to know what kind of people we ought to be. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Starts off this chapter by stirring up his beloved by way of reminder, reminding them of the truth of God's word, encouraging them to remember the predictions. Remember those predictions from the Old Testament prophets. And then also, he then talks about the commandments, the commands of the Lord given through the apostles, which, if you think about that, is a huge thing. For any devout Jew, for any, for any Israelite, man, the whole Old Testament scriptures, those were sacred, holy writings given by the Holy Spirit of God for his people. And here Peter's saying, he's, he's, he's kind of putting the commandments of the apostles, written down by the apostles, as in equal standing, on equal footing with it. Here we have the Old Testament and the New Testament of God, both uh, spoken of by the Holy Spirit for the edification, for the building up of the church, revealing God to his people. This is huge. Placing the New Testament writings in the same category and caliber as the Old Testament writings. Encouraging them to remember the truthfulness and the faithfulness of God's word because the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, is sure to come. And it comes suddenly and unexpectedly. It reminds me of Paul's encouragement to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's continue on in chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need. Um, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There it is again. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they, can, they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that, day, uh, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Here again, Paul, his encouragement to the Thessalonians, he describes the day of the Lord like a thief coming in the night. Suddenly, unexpectedly, our verses here in Second Peter chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, again says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth with the works that are done will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, coming like a thief, unexpectedly. And Paul saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I think of uh, growing up in church, um, our church that I grew up in, um, sometimes, particularly on Sunday nights, you guys ever do Sunday night church? Like when I was a kid, I would do Sunday mornings, like Sunday school, Sunday morning church, and then they would have Sunday night service. We'd also do the Wednesday midweek as well. Sunday nights was always a mixed bag. Sunday nights was an interesting time because that's when you'd bring in your evangelists. That's when you bring in your guest speakers. Sometimes you would actually have a movie or something shown, like a presentation shown. And I remember growing up, they would show movies like A Thief in the Night. Do you guys remember that movie? Anybody? Okay. Right? Scare the snot out of you. Right? It's end times. Eschatology, like, it would just, like, I remember as a teenager, like a young teenager, just being terrified, going home at that night going, am I ready? Am I ready? Like, YouTube it. You will not be sorry. You probably will be sorry, actually. Check it out, though. Terrifying, right? But for the church of Jesus Christ, who have the word of God in our hand, and we have these predictions and these prophecies from the Old Testament, and then we have all the writings of Jesus, uh, the sayings of Jesus through the Gospels, and then we have Paul's writings, we have Peter's writings here. And the encouragement for us is not to be afraid, but to live in light of it, to live with heaven in mind, to live with the day of the Lord in mind. Here he says, that these heavens will pass away with a roar, verse 10. Okay, that's a little, makes me a little, a little nervous. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Earth and the works done will be exposed. Nothing is hidden. All will be exposed. In verse 11 it says, Since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? We wait for a new heavens and a new earth which righteousness dwells. It's all going to pass away. This earth is going to pass away. Even the heavenly bodies will dissolve. They will melt as they burn. And as I read that, my heart can be filled with fear. But just as sure as judgment comes on the earth, just as sure God will, right, will redeem and rescue the righteous. Just as sure. Just as sure. So there's this question that's been burning in my mind, in my heart, all week. 
And it comes from verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? Since this life is going to pass away, since this earth and even the heavenly bodies are going to pass away, what sort of people ought we be? That's the ultimate question of personal evaluation, isn't it? In light of the facts, in light of the truthfulness of God's word, in light of over 300 Old Testament predictions of uh, Jesus, of the Messiah coming, all fulfilled in Jesus, in light of all that has already happened and is coming true, this too will come true. And thus, what type of people should we be? What type of people should we be if everything in this life will dissolve like sugar in a warm glass of water? God just giving it a little stir, and maybe he's already started. And uh, Spirit led a couple weeks ago, Sunday night, um, someone gave an encouragement to the church that God has a purpose in this pandemic. God has a purpose in this coronavirus. And um, it hit me in such a way, going, nothing, like God has a purpose in everything, right? He has a purpose in all the trials. He has a purpose in all um, the trouble. He has a purpose in all of it. He has a sovereign purpose and a sovereign will, and it all is pointing to one glorious day when Christ returns for his church. And instead of me sulking like a, like a pouty teenager, sorry, teenagers, and going, oh, oh can't do church like normal. Uh, you got to do this. My whole life has been screwed up because of this pandemic and all this stuff. And just going, okay, God, what are you doing? God, what is it? What are you, what, you got, he's got purpose in the pandemic. He's got purpose in the pain. And it's all pointing to one glorious day that I cannot wait for. He's shaking things up to show what is real and what is true and what is false. He's shaking things up to show that only Jesus and salvation by grace through faith in Jesus will ultimately stand. This whole life is going to pass away. The earth and all of the works that are done in it will be exposed. And the only thing that will stand is those who put their faith in Jesus. It should give us great hope. It should give us great purpose. It should give us great living in light of that. What type of people ought we be? What type of people ought we be given that all will deserve? Our country will dissolve. But praise Jesus, we belong to a kingdom, not a nation. Remember that. We belong to a kingdom ruled by a king, and his name is Jesus when you gave your heart to him, when he illuminated the beauty of his gospel to your heart and you came into fellowship with Jesus Christ, you now belong to a kingdom and he rules and reigns. He purchased you with his blood. What kind of people should we be? Your job, your business, your career will dissolve. So let's not work for the bread that perishes 
but let's work for the bread that doesn't perish, as it says in John chapter 6. That's the type of people we ought to be. Your beautiful house will dissolve. But Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us in John chapter 14. And that's the type of people we ought to be. Your 401k and your retirement will all dissolve. So instead, we store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, as it says in Matthew 6. That's the type of people we ought to be. See, there's so many things unfolding in our world that remind me that the Lord is coming back soon, that all of this is going to dissolve. All of this is going to pass away. And so I need to be the type of people that he's called me to be with heaven in mind, with glory in mind, with the return of Christ and the coming of the day of the Lord in mind. Instead of being tangled up in this world, I need to be living in light of the day of the Lord. And I'm not saying that he's, that he's coming back today or tomorrow or this year. I'm not saying that there's 21 reasons why Christ is coming back in 2021. There was a book I remember back in the 80s. I remember people talking about it. It was 88 reasons why Christ is coming back in 88. Or the rapture will happen in 88 or something like that. Okay, and I'm not saying that. Not at all, right? I, I grew up with, with, with pastors and evangelists and teachers like, like you better get ready because it's coming tomorrow kind of thing, right? No one knows the day or the hour. Not even the Son himself, but the Father in heaven knows the day and the hour when he will return. But we're living in the last days. Since Acts, since Acts chapter 2, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He quotes Joel chapter 2, right? Young men will dream dreams, visions, prophecies, right? Like since the, the age of the church, man, we've been living in anticipation and waiting the coming day of the Lord. And what I find myself doing is getting so tangled up in this world, I end up being a scoffer. I end up being a scoffer. Remember we talked about scoffers last week. Verse 3, chapter 3, it says this, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing, just as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is his coming? It's not coming are you a scoffer? No way, Kevin. No way, Kev. We're good church-going Christians. We're not scoffers. We would never say it with our mouths. We would never say it with our lips. But maybe by our living, sometimes we're acting like scoffers. We're so tangled up in this world that we forget and we lose sight of the fact that he is returning for us one day. What type of people ought we be? What type of life are we living? What type of foundation have we laid? What type of investment are we giving day in and day out? Is it into this world or is it into the kingdom of God for the glory of Christ Jesus? That's the question that keeps burning in my mind this week. We live for the now. We get enthralled and entangled with this dissolvable world in this world that will ultimately burn, 
We live for a nation over the kingdom. We live for a career and for status over a harvest of souls. We live for a house and not for our eternal home. We live for a comfortable life, and it's all going to dissolve. We never actually say the Lord's not coming back. But by our living, we act like we've got all the time in the world. So again, what type of people ought we be? Verse 12 of our text reminds us that we are waiting and hastening the day of the Lord. The idea of hastening the day of the Lord is really intriguing to me. The word hastening, what does that mean? It means to hurry something along. When you, how do I, how do you, how do we hasten the day of the Lord? How do we hurry along this thing? How do we hurry along his coming? The only thing that I could come up with this from Matthew chapter 24. Verse 3, it says this, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. Watch out for false teachers. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Okay, don't be afraid, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the be but the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. astray. And because of lawlessness, wait, excuse me, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I'm feeling it. Verse 13 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. To hasten the day of the Lord, what type of people ought we be? We need to be a people who are proclaiming the kingdom of God, not a kingdom of this world. We need to be a, a people who are so uh, detached from this world and so enthralled in a kingdom ruled by King Jesus that we are proclaimers of his gospel to the world, to the nations, to your neighbors and your loved ones. What type of people ought we be? Proclaimers of truth. Proclaimers of the only way to salvation through Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to ask you again, as we wait, as we proclaim Jesus, are your eyes upward and is your living upward? Are you living with eternity, anticipating the day of the Lord? 
what type of people ought we be? This morning, if the Holy Spirit has stirred your heart, if he's revealed some things to you, if he's confronted you maybe about some sinful behaviors, if he's confronted you and, and, and convicted you about some worldly living, I would implore you and I would ask that you would repent this, this day. That you'd repent and turn and be the people that he's called you to be. Not entangled in this world, but our eyes fixed on Jesus, anticipating and hastening the day of the Lord. Proclaimers of the gospel, the kingdom of God. There are people out there that are hurting and lost. People that you bump into every day that need to know the truth of salvation through Christ alone. Their whole world is shattered right now. Their whole world has been shattered over the last eight, nine months. They're, they're, right now is probably the most fertile time to preach the gospel of Jesus. Because everything that they've hoped in before, their job, the economy, politics, their health, they're losing loved ones, they're lo like everything right now has been driving to this point where you can be a proclaimer of the kingdom of God. To share with them the ultimate hope that is the only hope in this world. What type of people ought we be? Let's get out there and proclaim. Let's be united together in our messaging. Let's be united together as the church of Jesus Christ. Purchased by him. That we would live for him alone. And ask Nate to come. Let's pray. And then as a part of our response today, as a people, as a church, I would like us to partake in communion together as a part of our uh, response today. So as the guys just play in the background for just a minute, I want you just to do a little bit of evaluation and a little bit of prayer on your own, a little bit of response on your own, in your seat, in your own heart, in your own mind. And I don't want to really rush this moment. So if the Holy Spirit has prompted you this morning, if he's convicting you this morning, I would just respond. Be open and forthright with him. He knows your thoughts. He knows your life better than you do. So just, just give it to him. Take a moment and respond. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go to a time of communion together.